This morning I enter the pulpit with a bit of confusion. We need clarification. Bill Sullivan told us about things that are out in the foyer. When Joel Vazanen tells us it's the foyer, uh, do we have a word from God as to which is correct? <laughs> I guess maybe it's really not your French. I, I don't know. Last Monday, as I began praying to the Lord, seeking a word for this morning, very quickly this came, bring a word on the brevity of life and the reality of heaven and hell. Well, throughout the day, as I sought God, that's all that would come. I really didn't like that word because I thought, well, this is going to be a long weekend. A bunch of folks are going to be gone. Probably no sinners in the crowd. So, <laughs> you know, who needs that word? But it wouldn't go away. And then Tuesday morning at around 8 o'clock, Susie Wright called and said, Michael Rasco is in the hospital in the cardiac unit. I think St. John's. Gordon rushed to St. John's. That's where he was. And uh, the medical personnel said he can't have visitors. He's too weak. But Gordon, being who he is, was able to wheedle his way past. And he's later talking today. He said he had a few moments talking to Mike. I had other obligations Tuesday morning. And so in between those, I kept praying for Kathleen and Michael. About 2 o'clock, I was finally able to get free. And you know... There are three places in this auditorium where I find I especially meet God. One is on the floor over by the piano. And I don't know how many times I've lain on that carpet with my face buried in the carpet and I've gotten a word from God. Other times it's up here on the platform, flat on my back, staring at the ceiling, asking God to speak to me. And I've heard from God. And the other place is right here, kneeling with my face buried in this carpet, passionately seeking God. And so about 2 o'clock, I was able to get to this spot, and I was on my knees with a face in the carpet, just beginning to pray for Michael and Kathleen, and my cell phone rang. Around 1.15, Kathleen had sent a message that they had determined Michael had had a massive heart attack and they were planning to insert a catheter. So immediately the phone rang, Jim, this is Kathleen. Oh, Kathleen, have they inserted the catheter? A pause, and she said, God just took Michael home. Will you do the sermon? For some reason, that was confirmation to me that today I'm to talk about the brevity of life and the reality of heaven and hell. Life is brief. When that word came to me on Monday, pray about the brevity of life and the reality of heaven and hell. Immediately I began to think of those 59 people that had been killed on Sunday in that horrible massacre at Las Vegas. 
You know, we've seen videos, we've heard it on the radio, and I began to wonder, Lord, how many of those 59 people, the moment they quit breathing, woke up in your presence, and how many woke up in outer darkness? And I pondered that and didn't know the answer, but I'm sure that's true. Some went to one place and some the other. None of those people that went to that concert expected to die that day, but they did. We never know. Life is so brief. James chapter 4 reminds us of that as, as he tells us, said, you know, life is so brief, James 4.14, that it's like a vapor which is here and passes away. Isn't that true? The psalmist wrote in Psalm 144.4, Man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. This morning, if you are the wealthiest man in the world, or woman, <laughs> and you have enough money to pay for the most advanced medical care known to humanity or if you are the poorest person on the globe and can't even afford an aspirin both of you will die if you're the most righteous person that ever lived in the state of Oklahoma or the greatest sinner that ever walked the streets of Tulsa someday you will die. If you are someone who is, as some of us are, octogenarians, <laughs> and some of us septuagenarians, and some getting close, and you look ahead and still can't quite see the finish line, but you know it can't be too far away, we're going to die. And there's nothing more important than asking this question, where will I spend eternity? Maybe today you're middle-aged and you're carrying all kinds of burdens and taking care of other people and the burdens become so crushing and sometimes you think, Lord, is there any way out? But more important than those burdens is how do you answer this question where will I spend eternity? Maybe today you're a young adult and you're just starting to venture out into life and you think about the future and your career and it's a mixture of excitement on one hand, hand but, but fear and anxiety on the other, exactly what is going to happen. But more important than that fear and anxiety or even excitement is the answer to this question. Where will you spend eternity maybe you're a boy or a girl <laughs> matter of fact this morning I thought I wish we didn't have children's church children need to be aware of the fact that death is reality but if you're a boy or a girl and you're starting to experience things in your body you never thought were there before maybe questioning your identity What's adulthood going to be like? Maybe you're wanting to be liked in school. All of these things are so much a part of that phase of your life, but none of that is as important as how you answer the question, where will I spend 
eternity. Life is brief. Eternity is long. Is there any way you can know? <laughs> yes, there is. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that when I breathe my last breath and I fall asleep here and wake up over there, I will be at the feet of Jesus. And I know that because Joel said seven when I was ten years of age. I heard the gospel preach. I knew it was true. I came down the aisle and in front of a packed house confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior. With less than ten minutes I was in the baptistry. And I can still remember the baptismal water to me felt like I was in a tub of Alka-Seltzer. It, it felt effervescent whether it was or not it seemed that way to me. And I was immersed into Jesus Christ. The old person buried. The old ten-year-old Jim Garrett buried. And a new Jim Garrett came out of that water. Receiving the Holy Spirit, born again by water into the Spirit, as Scripture teaches. I would be an absolute liar this morning if I told you from that point on I never sinned. <laughs> That's a bunch of baloney. <laughs> oh my, how sad I am that I look back with grief at times on the many ways I fail to honor my Lord. But I thank God he's a forgiving Lord. John, 1 John chapter 1, which is written to Christians, says this. If we say that we have no sin, Christians, we are liars and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is just and will forgive us of all unrighteousness. And I tell you, day by day, I sit before God and ask him to audit my life. And as he reveals this and that and the other, O oh God, forgive me, enable me to live more perfectly for you. And I tell you, I know I am forgiven. I know I am forgiven. Let me tell you something, though. You can lose your salvation. You, can lose your, you cannot earn heaven by good deeds, but you can lose heaven by bad deeds. We need to realize that. There's a reward, of course, for good deeds, but our salvation isn't based on that. That's sort of uh, icing on the cake, shall we say, as we look to eternity. Some people say, well, you know, I've been such a horrible, horrible person, such a terrible sinner. How could Jesus ever accept me? Listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, verse, uh, chapter 6, rather, verse 9. Do you not know the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. By the way, you would find a similar and more extensive list in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and following. But here's the thing. Such were some of you. 
but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Let me tell you, you make the worst list you can find and find yourself on it, but it isn't hopeless. <laughs> For the arms of Jesus are open and say, Come unto me, come unto me. The cross was done for you. When Jesus Christ said, You believe in God, believe also in me, and my Father's house are many dwelling places, I go prepare a place for you. <laughs> Think of that, for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where may he may, you may be also. His arms are open that horrible list <laughs> but you've been washed you've been justified you've been sanctified even though that's what you used to be you're not that anymore what a marvelous thing <laughs> to think about some people after they've come to Jesus Christ are so harassed by the aware of, aware of being aware of their imperfections, they think, what hope is there? Some are harassed by that passage in Hebrews that says this, if we sin willfully, after that we have come to a knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for our sins, but only a certain looking forward to the fire judgment of God, so on and so on. That's a pretty stark statement, isn't it? I've pondered that over the years. Here's my opinion. Opinion. The statement that says, if we sin willfully, is a Greek participle. It is a circumstantial Greek participle. And there are different kinds of circumstantial participles. And one is a time circumstantial participle. Time circumstantial participle then would read this way, while we are sinning willfully, there remaineth no more sacrifice for our sins. Think of that or can be renewed. While we are sinning willfully, for some reason, we say we can't be reached. But it's while we're sinning willfully. But there still is hope. And person who's an alcoholic or caught up to another addiction, you can talk to them till you're blue in the face and it won't do a bit of good. But God, by his grace, often brings that person to what somebody calls hitting bottom and it's like a switch is thrown, and there's hope. To me, it's like a radio station that's sending out a powerful broadcast. And I have my radio on the table, and I turn it off. And as long as that broadcast is coming and that radio is turned off, there's not a thing that comes out of that radio, N nothing at all. But if I turn it on, then it's received. 
while we are yet sinning, they're in, we're sinning willfully, so on and so on. <laughs> Our prayer is when we see someone sinning willfully, oh God, some way, turn on the switch. Bring them to where they hit bottom or something that causes them to take a look so they can be reached. You know, we have some folks in this body who once knew Jesus Christ deeply and walked away and sinned willfully, and now they are among us as saints because the Holy Spirit threw the switch and could reach them again. Now, I may be wrong, but that's my personal opinion as to how that passage should be understood. So if this morning, if you're here and you once knew Christ, perhaps like Peter, you'd have denied him three times and gone out into the night weeping, there's hope for you. If we sin willfully, yes, but think about 1 John 1. If we say we have no sin, we're liars. The truth isn't in us. But he is just and will forgive us our sins if we confess them to him. There's a time in which we need to confess our sins to somebody else. Remember, the book of James says, Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. There's something about auricular confession, confession to someone else's ear that sometimes empowers that confession in a way that just talking to God doesn't. I don't think we should have a rule like Roman Catholics and have a confessional require you to go there before you could uh, faithfully partake of the Lord's Supper. But there is power in auricular confession. I'm confessing it to God, confessing it to a brother and sister. Pray to God that the Holy Spirit will empower me to stay free of this bondage, that only Jesus Christ could rule me. Where will you spend eternity? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are so beautiful. Having just given us that catalog of saints in chapter 11, then he says that looking unto Jesus, who is the author, and the Greek word there can mean either finisher or perfecter. Now the first word is archangos, and it can have the meaning of the author, the one who writes or creates something, and also have the idea of the leader, one who's leading by example. Most of our translations have chosen author, and I think that's probably the preferred one. But the other one applies too, because notice it as you flow on in that passage, it presents Jesus as the example for us. Isn't that beautiful to think about? <laughs> I think both are true. The, the, the Holy Spirit at times has picked Greek words that have more than one meaning, and instead of trying to argue it's this one or that one, both are true. I think this is one of those times. Jesus is the author, the creator of our faith, but he also is an example as to how to walk it out. And so when we come to Jesus Christ, the script starts, <laughs> starts to be written. And then we go through temptations. 
and we go through burdens and people hurt our feelings but all of that you see is the way he is perfecting or finishing our faith as we walk through those days knowing that at the end of the journey he's waiting saying come home where will you spend eternity <laughs> there's no greater question that you can ask than that and that question overrides every other concern of your life whether your belly is full or empty whether you owe a lot of money or have a big bank account whether you have a wonderful wife or you're living with a shrew whether you have great kids or a bunch of heligans that make life on earth miserable none of those things are as important as to how you answer the question where will I spend eternity the answer Peter gave on Pentecost is repent be immersed every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the purpose of the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and later on Paul writing said the fact you have the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that heaven is yours and then you embark upon that life and you're going to stumble you're going to fall on your face at times you're going to be so ashamed although you have embarrassed your God but he grips you by the hand and says come on let's walk a little further don't walk alone walk with me where will you spend eternity yesterday after conducting the funeral which occupied the morning by the time we left the graveside I went home and took off my preacher clothes <laughs> put on Levi's comfortable shirt rested briefly and then went to Utica Square to have a blessed time with Ed and Nancy my I tell you how could anybody in the world produce the beauty this woman produces but part of that and enjoying it and Nancy's all the folks we meet that used to go to TCF <laughs> come by and we chat a bit and I Lord really what am I supposed to say from the pulpit tomorrow <laughs> and it wouldn't go away and so after I left them, I went to Woodward Park. And I had my clarinet with me. And as is my custom, I often go to that park and sit on a particular bench, which is one of the highest spots and away from everybody. And took out my clarinet and began to play a few tunes. It just wasn't right. I put it away and began praying. There were wedding parties there. Young women dressed in beautiful, formal, sort of burgundy cover, one color, one crowd was. Uh, one crowd looked about six to eight young men in white shirts and ties, and you could tell they weren't used to wearing them. One had on a three-piece suit, looked awkward. 
parents with children, young couples walking hand in hand over in the grass. There was a mother and father with little children playing, photographers. I sat and looked at that crowd one by one. I didn't know any of them. But as I looked at them, I thought, Lord, are there any of these that someday I will meet at the feet of Jesus? How many of these are going to hell? What should I do? Should I go down and stand on a rock in the rose garden and start preaching? (laughs) Trusting the leading of the Spirit, that wasn't what was to be done, but he was just putting on my heart more and more the burden for the lost who have never heard the gospel. Or if they've had, they've never heard it effectively. People who have never stopped long enough to ask the question, where will I spend eternity? I pray that God will give this church an increasing heart for those who are enslaved in darkness and totally oblivious to what happens beyond the grave because every one of them either will die or Jesus will come again and the consequences will be the same. Now, if we were in a different setting, I would preach and end up with an invitation. (laughs) But I look at this crowd and wonder, to what would I invite you? (laughs) Except perhaps to be more diligent as we seek to live a life to honor God and look forward to that day when with open arms he says, come home. Father, we're thankful for the assurance that we have that there's no need for any doubt but certainty because you have made the way. We thank you through Jesus. Amen.